Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. This week on Talk Nation Radio, billionaires and their ever-expanding billions. Our guest is Omar Ocampo, who is a researcher for the program on inequality and the common good at the Institute for Policy Studies. He is co-author of the study, Billionaire Bonanza 2020, Wealth, Windfalls, Tumbling Taxes, and Pandemic Profiteers. And of the recent article, 12 U.S. billionaires have a combined $1 trillion, which you can find at inequality.org. Omar Ocampo, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Hey, thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for the work you're doing. Uh, so what is new in the, the Billionaires Club? Well, the, the first thing that's new is that the total net worth of the 12 uh, richest Americans um, as of August 13th is over a trillion dollars. Um, their wealth has uh, increased close to $283 billion since mid-March. And this is a stark contrast to the millions of workers in the United States uh, who have experienced job losses, disruptions to their income, or their living paycheck to paycheck? And how have they how have they done this? What uh, what what are the the factors that have have made them this money? Well, I think it's because they've taken advantage of how well the stock market has been, so their assets have increased, and uh, and. In, in general, I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that the stock market is the is the economy, um, and uh, and I think another reason they've done uh, really well is that uh, the stock market, uh, the Federal Reserve is basically guaranteeing a floor for investors, so that they've lowered interest rates and purchased billions of dollars in corporate bonds. So this is you know pretty much props up the stock market, which has allowed, um, you know. Uh, certain billionaires to do really well. So that's why the stock market has done well during a, a disastrous period. Exactly. And um, and the stock market is not necessarily something that, you know, uh, shows, uh, you know, uh, how the current, what, what the goods and services are being produced in the economy. In fact, you know, the, they're just trying to predict what, what the economy will look like in the future. So even a positive news story or a comment from Elon Musk, for example, uh, you know, may temporarily send markets up or down because it, it affects uh, investor outlook. And Elon Musk, incidentally, is one of these 12 uh, super mega billionaires. Who are, who are the, these 12 people and, and how much do they each have? Yes, yeah, so uh, the... At the top of the so at the top of the the person at the top is uh, Jeff Bezos, um, and Jeff Bezos, um, you know, is the CEO of Amazon. Um, another person uh, is uh, I think currently uh, Jeff Bezos has one hundred ninety four uh, billion dollars. Then there's Bill Gates who has one hundred thirteen billion. Mark Zuckerberg who is at ninety six billion. Uh, there's Warren Buffett. At seventy-eight billion, uh, Larry Ellison at seventy-four billion, uh, Steve Ballmer, um, seventy-one billion, uh, Larry Page, uh, sixty-eight billion, Sergey Brin, um, sixty-seven billion, and then 
three Waltons, Alice Walton, Jim Walton, Rob Walton, they each have uh, about $62 billion. And, and these are uh, as of August 20th. Did, did you say Larry Ellison? I think I may have missed that one. Was he in there? Uh, Larry Ellison is in there, yes. He's at $74 billion. I can't help but notice that for some of the, if not all of these people, you're giving higher numbers than what was uh, in what I read last week from you. Yes, because uh, you know we get uh, our, data, our data from um, uh, from Forbes. So Forbes has uh, a real time tracker. So um, so every day it, it, it updates, and then we we you know consistently monitor it. So um, so the the, the the people that we call the oligarchic dozens, they still uh, have a net worth of over a trillion dollars, even a week after um, the the article that we published. And where did these people get their money in the first place? I mean, they didn't they didn't go from from zero to a trillion uh, overnight. What? Uh, how did they How did they get mega wealthy uh, in the beginning? Yeah. So I, I think you know. A lot of, I mean, a lot of these people who are at the top twelve are involved in the in, in the tech industry. So I think that you know the pandemic, for example, has like played into all of their strengths. So there's been an increase in online retail, cloud services, uh, streaming services. Um, so they've been able to you know increase their uh, wealth partly because a there's an increase in demand and b because the stock market is being propped up. Um, a lot of them have gotten their wealth. Uh, for example, you know, we, uh, Jeff Bezos. One story that people like to tell uh, is that you know he started from his basement, but a lot of people forget that, or uh, conveniently leave out the fact that, you know, his parents are the ones who who have given uh, who have given him uh, startup money. Um, so they already come from people who are uh, already have wealth, and the same is for like Bill Gates. And and the three Waltons, of course, simply inherited oh. the money from Walmart, right? Exactly. Um, so they already had like a huge empire. I mean, mostly like most of the people who are uh, like at least almost half of the people who um, are today, uh, you know, we can consider like ultra high net worth. A lot of them have inherited their money. And and these people don't just have piles of money. They are powerful in in a number of ways, right? In in terms of influence on government and and communications. I mean, Bezos not only has Amazon, but has huge contracts from the CIA and owns the Washington Post newspaper and and so forth, right? Yeah, absolutely. So they're able to influence uh, you know mainstream. Um uh, public opinion through their ownership of things of you know mainstream uh, media outlets, but uh, you know w one of the things one of the reasons I, beca I became interested in extreme inequality is because of um, how it undermines democracy. So for me, one of the most uh, eye-opening books I've read in the you know past ten years was a book called Oligarchy, written by uh, Jeffrey A. Winters, who is a uh, professor at Northwestern University. And then he basically uh, defines an oligarch as anyone who deploys their wealth politically for economic reasons. And it's mainly to defend their wealth from taxation or expropriation. And he basically illustrates how in the U.S. the rich employ uh, an army of professionals to advance their interests at the expense of 
uh, Democratic majority. Um, and, uh, you know, material inequality translates into uh, political inequality, and normally the interests of the super-rich and the non-affluent uh, non -affluent do not always align. And there is research that shows that the wealthy are more anti-tax, uh, anti-regulation, and more anti-organized anti labor than your average voter. And this includes wealthy liberals uh, in the tech sector. It's funny when you, you know, the United States government loves to use the word democracy and uh, most people will simply just blindly repeat it and a few people will scream, no, it's a republic. Uh, but uh, but the studies, the, the, I think the same professor you mentioned and some colleagues did a study that, that you know, what type of government is it really? Uh, it's, a, it's an oligarchy, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I would agree. Um with that definition, and unfortunately, um, political and social movements are at a structural disadvantage because they are unable to match the the riches endurance due to the, the, the disparities they have in material resources. And because of that, this results in the routine defeat of like vital progressive and social democratic reforms. Since uh, Democratic institutions grow to be unresponsive to their voters, and they serve the interests of the, of uh, you know the super rich. Um, so, in short, uh, you know wealth concentration, especially at this scale, which is at uh, historic highs, is terrible for democracy. We're speaking with Omar Ocampo from the Institute for Policy Studies. He's co-author of the study Billionaire Bonanza 2020, Wealth Windfalls, Tumbling Taxes, and Pandemic Profiteers. Uh, just that title suggests uh, some role by the U.S. government uh, in generating these additional uh, tens and hundreds of billions of dollars. What, what has the role of the U.S. government been in this, this expansion of this, this hoarding of wealth in recent months? Yeah, so um, I think this extreme concentration of wealth is the logical conclusion of the of the so-called uh, Reagan Revolution of the 1980s, um, which saw the introduction of neoliberalism and uh, the transformation of both political parties into uh, parties that are dominated by money. Um, and this is particularly true of the of the Republican Party. Um, where they have a hyper-focus on tax cuts and uh, deregulation. And um, and I think their logic is that, you know, by the defense, by allowing the super-rich to have more money, they would take more risk, uh, invest in productivity, create more jobs. But that actually goes against all evidence. They'll just gamble with their money or look ways uh, to expand their capital by buying stocks and real estate or even lending to the to the government that's supposed to be taxing taxing them. So all of this just leads to uh, a redistribution of wealth upwards. It's a, it's a wealth transfer for the rich. It is indeed. Uh, beyond uh, beyond tax policy, uh, what about pandemic profiteering? Uh, has there is there a question of misplaced bailouts for those who don't need it, or or what is the meaning of of that phrase, pandemic profiteering? Yeah, so uh, pandemic profiteering is so in any time um, there's uh, let's say like a crisis. Um, an economic crisis, large corporations 
benefit disproportionately because a lot of their competition goes out of business or they exploit the crisis by raising prices not according to supply and demand principles. So that's what we mean by uh, profiteers. And we think that Congress should establish a pandemic profiteering committee. It currently has a COVID-19 Congressional Oversight Commission, but that mostly deals with transparency issues and how the money is used and their impact. And this is how we find out that you know, an NBA basketball team is able to get some um, uh, stimulus money, for example. But we say that it should go one step further and take a look if there's uh, uh, how serious uh, and to what scale there is profiteering, profiteering in the economy. And if there is, we should enact an excess profits tax. So that way the revenue that can be raised can be given to those who are in need. What what should the U.S. Congress have done over the past several months in terms of helping uh, people who need it, health care, uh, income, housing, etc., as opposed to helping uh, the mega wealthy who didn't need it? Yeah, so I actually think that um, you know the one of the first things that we should have done is make sure to get cash in the hands of consumers and your everyday person because that way that we can guarantee um, their material existence. So something along the lines of like a basic income. So I, uh, giving people money is a good way to reduce poverty and the poverty rate. And um, Congress uh, should actually look into a way in order for them to be, to be able to fund uh, a, a universal basic income program. Um, and, you know, um, I completely agree with, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders who proposed uh, a tax, uh, you know, a, a piece of legislation that basically advocates for the taxation of billionaires, especially the money, the wealth they've been able to accumulate uh, throughout this pandemic. So essentially a wealth tax. So that way um, the, the U.S. government will have the resources in order to provide uh, health care during the pandemic. And it's that may be a crazy radical leftist commie pinko anti-American <laughs> idea, but it's it's extremely popular in U.S. polling, isn't it? And and long has been, right? Exactly, and it goes uh, back to the um, you know uh, to what we were talking about earlier is that you know um, the electorate is actually um, a little bit more to the left than we give it credit for. Um, and, and it's the, the wealthy who are um, not aligned with the, the material interest of, you know, your average American voter. What, uh, if it were up to the public, insofar as we can tell from, uh, from corporate polling companies, uh, what, would the, what would the U.S. government have, have been doing differently in terms of the pandemic and in terms of, of these billionaires piling up more money? Yeah, if it was, you know, if we had democratic majorities where, you know, the popular vote rules, we would definitely have um, you know, universal health care. Um, we would definitely have an increased minimum wage. Um, our U.S. Postal Service would not be, uh, you know, defunded and uh, stripped of its resources in order for them to be able to carry out, um, you know, the, the delivery of mail and medicine. Uh, a whole lot of things 
if uh, you know if this was truly like a you know a, a, a democracy, a whole lot of things uh, would be different. So let's let's talk for a minute about a trillion dollars uh, because it's it's mm-hmm. kind of a large number. Uh, how much is a trillion, and uh, and what could you do if you if you had the trillion dollars that these twelve individuals have? Uh, what sort of things could you do with that? Um, so a trillion dollars is basically. I mean, this is apples and oranges. Um, but the the GDP of uh, Belgium and Austria combined is less than a, a trillion dollars, and that is something that and, and that is a, you know the the oligarchic you know dozen their combined wealth twelve people is basically um, equivalent to the GDP of two you know uh, rich nations. Um, I can't even fathom what I would be able to do with a, a, a trillion dollars. I'm not even sure that's even possible to be able to spend it in your own lifetime. Um, what the you know one of the biggest hobbies of you know the wealthy is like philanthropy. So a lot of them uh, engage in uh, uh, you know philanthropic endeavors, and they care about uh, you know. Medicine, education, some of them even poverty and, and, and unemployment, but philanthropy is uh, to me not necessarily um, the answer to structural issues. You know, I, I spend a lot of time on war and peace issues, and I look at the U.S. military spending every year, which across numerous departments is well over a trillion dollars. And so we we round it down to a trillion dollars and look at things that you could do. And the United Nations has said for $30 billion or 3% of a trillion dollars, you could end starvation on Earth uh, for, you know, the $30 billion a year for a, a little over... 10 billion, a little over 1%, you could end the lack of clean drinking water on Earth. So here you have 12 individual people who possess, and you could only take it away from them once, whereas the military budget is year after year after year. But but these 12 people, you could take 3% of their money and end starvation on Earth. Does, does that create a, a, a little bit of a moral responsibility that they do that, given the enormous good it would do and that they probably wouldn't feel it in any way? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that the, the, this extreme concentration of wealth is uh, completely immoral. And like you said, we could probably end world, world hunger with just like, you know, 3 4% of, the, of, of their wealth. Unfortunately... Um, you know, we have this ideology um, in the United States that says that, you know, um, the public sector is inherently inefficient. And to me, that's just, you know, capitalist dogma. Um, and, you know, for something straightforward, like ending uh, hunger in the country or even in the world, um, that's not that complicated, diverse or complex. So therefore, the government will not be inefficient um, in carrying out uh, such a uh, such an, an, an endeavor. But the the well the wealthy also like to pretend that they care about these issues. Um, so that's why they they engage a lot in you know donations and charities. Um, but even that, there should be uh, you know I think a critique now. 
for someone like uh, Mackenzie Scott, um, you know, I kind of consider her like a very bold giver, and I'm actually quite a fan because, you know, she's already given away like 1.7 billion of her wealth. Um, and can you tell uh, us who she, she is? I don't think she was on our list of Dirty Dozen here. Yeah, so uh, Mackenzie Scott is the ex-wife of uh, Jeff Bezos. Um, so she, through the divorce settlement, was um, um, got a lot of uh, uh, assets. And uh, immediately she uh, signed the Giving Pledge, which is a campaign where the super-rich pledge to donate half of their wealth. So uh, she's donated $1.7 billion in the past 12 months, but her wealth has grown by $30 billion during this exact same period. So, so even those who say, I want to give half away their wealth, their wealth is increasing at such a rate that they, have, don't, they, they can't even give it away. Um, but, uh, but for some... Well, they could uh, if they wanted to, right? They could. It's not impossible. Exactly. No, exactly. And the thing is that a lot of them uh, uh, use philanthropy as a way to, as a scheme to like, avoid taxes. So the the rich can donate like a hundred million in some donor advised fund, and they get an immediate tax benefit. And that hundred million can sit in that fund indefinitely, and it may not even reach the, its desired destination. So this is why we always say that uh, you know our research shows that taxation is just a, is just a better uh, mechanism in order to help uh, you know reduce uh, uh, you know poverty and. Uh, uh, wealth inequality and you know providing opportunity um, because those resources will go to where they're supposed to go. So when these guys have some of them famously made this pledge to give away half their money or or more, uh, they haven't made any pledge not to hoard a different pile of money. So I, I've pledged <laughs> to give away this stack of of gold coins while hoarding another larger stack. Is that does that really comply with the pledge? Um, it does not, and um, and again, the, I think the given pledge is uh, is uh, you know I think I think charity in you know when you strip it from it you know uh, from a wider context, it's, it's something that's necessary. Um, you know, I'm not necessarily against it, but it's it's just not something that scales and it cannot handle or solve uh, structural problems. It can only put a band aid and and uh, and the way we solve uh, you know structural problems is through uh, taxation, which includes uh, you know the you know taxation on the very rich. What's uh, I noticed that Warren Buffett is the exception in the list of twelve that uh, that he's not piling up even more money. Is he uh, is is he more generous uh, or is he uh, just as greedy but just not doing as good a job at it? Um, I think, uh, you know, our research shows that Warren Buffett um, had some of his some of his investments in industries that were very negatively negatively impacted by COVID. So one, for example, is like the airline industry, and the airline industry has taken a huge hit um, um, throughout the pandemic. Um, so that so stuff like that helps explain why Warren Buffett, even though he's still like incredibly wealthy, he's still worth uh, you know seventy eight billion dollars. Um, he ha he actually has seen a decrease, um, uh, you know, uh, 
since the beginning of the year. Um, other billionaires uh, in other sectors are also not doing that well. So, for example, in oil and gas, uh, you know, the demand for oil has uh, decreased, and there was also like a price war earlier between uh, Russia and Saudi Arabia, so which boosts production all the way up and and then help you know collapse. Uh, oil prices. So um, people like, uh, you know, oil tycoons are not doing very well. Uh, Omar uh, Ocampo, we have just a few minutes left. I, I wonder what people should do who think that we have a problem with oligarchy, that it's a high priority, that we have a democratic or representative government. Uh, I mean, should we should people boycott Amazon and the Washington Post and Tesla and Walmart and Apple and Facebook and so on? Uh, or is that so irrelevant that we should really just put everything into demanding uh, progressive tax policies and decent uh, government programs yeah I mean it unfortunately is difficult to um, effectively boycott um, Amazon and uh, all these other um, corporations who are basically uh, having a windfall right now during the pandemics because they're they're very convenient services so um, we, you know some long-term solutions would would include a wealth tax a that something similar um, just proposed by Elizabeth Warren, where there'll be a 2% wealth tax on households with wealth over $500 million, and maybe even a progressive st- estate tax, which may- might be modeled um, after uh, Bernie Sanders. But another thing I think that, uh, you know, we need to do as a country is that, you know, even though taxation is great and absolutely um, necessary to reduce inequality, it's not enough. Um, I feel like there needs to be a focus on pre-distribution um, as much as there is a focus on redistribution. And this means that we have to grow the labor movement. Workers should be able to participate in the management of their companies and negotiate what share of the profits goes to them and what other what share goes to uh, uh, the owners and shareholders. Um, we need more democratic uh, workplaces to advocate for worker ownership. Um, that way workers themselves can decide how to distribute uh, the surpluses that they produce. Um, and I guess the last thing I would like to say is that the pandemic highlights the necessity for a universal basic income. Uh, a basic income set above the poverty level will help uh, guarantee the material existence of every individual. It gives workers flexibility to refuse jobs with poor working conditions or unfavorable hours. Uh, it increases worker bar- bargaining power um, some studies have suggested that it encourages entrepreneurship because it allows people to take more risks and pursue their passions. And it also pays people for work that is uh, devalued by the market, for example, like domestic work and caregiving. So a basic income uh, 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 guarantees freedom. So um, those are the things I think, um, you know, as a country we should be able to, uh, to fight for, uh, help will help reduce uh, wealth inequality and, uh, you know, uh, lead to more freedom. Very, very well said. We've been speaking with Omar Ocampo, who's the co-author of the study Billionaire Bonanza 2020, Wealth Windfalls, Tumbling Taxes and Pandemic Profiteers, and of the recent article, 12 U.S. billionaires have a combined $1 trillion. You can find that at inequality.org. We'll have a link up at Talk Nation Radio. 
www.ocampo.org. Omar Ocampo from the Institute for Policy Studies. Thank you very, very much for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. Read or listen to today's Peace Almanac entry at peacealmanac.org. All past shows can be heard at talknationradio.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is supported by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.